Section 2 of The Black Cat, Volume 3, Number 1, October 1897. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dan Gerzinski. The Black Cat, Volume 3, Number 1, October 1897. Section 2. The Egg That Ran Away by Philip Verrill Miguel's. Bluish smoke wreathed lazily upward from the graying embers of a fire upon the beach of the lake, and it got in the eyes of a number of Indian mahalas. Getting hot in the ashes were several rocks, and standing about were several baskets made of willow, the largest of them filled with a thickish and pinkish substance of the consistency of gruel, with the making of which all the women were concerned. The substance was what the washos call their acorn soup, being made of acorns dried, pounded into flour, mixed with water, and regularly boiled. As a part of the process, an elderly squaw lifted rocks from the fire with a couple of sticks, dipped them quickly in some water near to cleanse them of the ashes, and proceeded to drop them in the soup to make it cook. Another of the women had a basket the shape and capacity of a common bowl for porridge. This she filled from a basket of the cooked and finished stuff, slowly, skillfully dipping it full. At every dip, her hand got more or less covered with the soup. Her first precaution was to rid this hand of everything by placing it well in her mouth. Next, she held up the bowl and ran a pair of fingers around inside to push the soup away from the edge, forming a smooth little puddle. Then she conscientiously removed any accumulated stuff from the fingers by the process described, held the bowl to the surface of a pool of water near, and dexterously turned out a biscuit-looking thing the size of an ostrich's egg. Cleaning her bowl with her fingers and her fingers with her mouth, she proceeded as before, and her hand, it is pertinent to say, was clean. The pool of water where she sat was formed by percolation from the lake, the hollow being scooped in the sand. Along the beach were a number of the pools, the depth of which was usually one or two feet, and diameter seven to ten. On the further side of an alder one was nicely filled with the pinkish cakes of soup solidifying, and the others were nearly filled, for the work was all but finished. The cakes were floating, suspended in the water, an inch below the surface. When at length the stuff had all been cooked and dipped through the process, the Mahalas gathered together the baskets and wended their way through a thicket of trees to their camp, which was up in the brush. They had all been gone an hour, and the biscuit, Floating peacefully were slowly getting harder when a tall and slender woman, with large and scrutinizing glasses on her nose, came wandering and pondering down the beach from a cottage in the trees. In her hand she held a net for catching insects and a case whereon appeared an excellent lettering, Cynthia Hatfield, naturalist. Beneath an arm she lugged a jar full of hoppers that were vainly giving their tobacco in the hope thereby of earning the privilege to hop or fly away. She had just arrived the night before from far Vermont with her brother and was starting already on her quests. Nearsighted not a little, Miss Cynthia nearly walked into the pool beside the alders before she noted its existence. Then she paused abruptly, got down on her knees, dropped her various trappings, and subjected the buns of soup to a keen and protracted investigation. Marvelous, she asserted in a voice that piped. 
most marvelous, and her face creased itself into joyous lines at the thought of that beatific moment when she should reveal to her professor what she mentally named these unparalleled manifestations of embryonic evolution. But how collect them? She seemed suddenly to take compassion on the hoppers, for the large mouth jar was open, cleared of insects, and filled with water. With exceeding care, she then proceeded to dip a pair of the cakes from the pool with her net, and to place them in the receptacle after which she hurried away, a glow and smile of triumph on her face. Jaunty, she called as she stepped to the cottage. Jaunty, reveal your present location. From the lawn at the rear, where, with a branch, she was pounding grasshoppers on the back to catch them and place them in a box, a lad came rolling into the house. He was singularly round and fat. His hair was the color of down on a peach, and his eyebrows and eyelashes failed to appear under closest examination. To him the naturalist imparted with solemn unction her marvelous discovery, that of a new and unclassified order of egg. And in as much jaunty, Miss Cynthia concluded, as the eggs were discovered in a quiet shaded pool, it seems to me best that you should bring the crystalline globe place them therein, and leave them here where I can give them my personal attention and half-hourly inspection, writing out my observations during interims. The globe brought, and the transfer accomplished, the lad unlimbered and rolled off through the door, the naturalist submitting her collection to a most minute and penetrative scrutiny, at length went away to an inner of inners, locking two or three doors behind her till she reached her private desk, where she eagerly wrote on an endless roll of paper, which she rapidly unwound like a ribbon from its bolt. True to her word, she issued forth at the end of every thirty minutes, made observations, and went again to write. As the calm, delightful moment slipped away, a brown little object came with quail-like timidity, edging from the bushes. At last it crossed the grass, unseen, and walked and crawled within the open house. It was merely the fat little heir to the chieftainship of the Washoe Indians. A chubby papoose with a tangled lot of raven hair and a coppery, health-glowing face that was round as the moon. He crept and he toddled about the incubating room until he reached a crystalline globe. Then his eyes grew astoundingly large, his attitude betokened interest, and he thrust his hand informally down into the water and fetched it up full of soup, which he ate with speed and gusto. Down again went the hand, and the bun that was left was soon reposing with its mate. Then he dabbed in the liquid, and he pushed the globe about till it went abruptly over with a crash, and the tide gushed forth to swamp the floor, making him gurgle in glee. Then came a fearful slamming, a sound of precipitate running, and Cynthia, like a something from a catapult, came hurtling through the door. In the room she paused. Her hands went up with a gesture of unspeakable astonishment to see before her this perfectly naked little creature on the floor. And then she found her voice and fairly screamed out, Hatched! She ran to the door and yelled for Jaunty. She grabbed for her net and squared her glasses. She lifted her skirt and cautiously peered around and beyond the staring youngster. A look somewhat of horror overspread her countenance. There was the globe, but empty. There was the floor, but nothing lay upon it. Then she moaned as in pain. 
hatched and gone, the other hatched and gone, to think that after all I should thus return too late. But she seemed to recover not a little, doubtless buoyed by the fact that one of her egg things still remained. Slowly moving now ahead and straining her nearsighted eyes vainly to make out the nature of her specimen, she advanced on the startled papoose. Like the wild thing that he was, he had scrambled to his feet and was making little starts as if for cover. No sooner had she come about and left a clearing toward the door than the nimble little tyke made a dive to clear the space that lay between himself and freedom. But Cynthia also was quick as a cat, and what was more the portly form of Jaunty now drew near. The naturalist jumped and ran, and her companion lifted his foot to the step the red little chieftain darted quickly between his legs. The net came down to snatch him, but it fell athwart poor Jaunty's head. Tripped below and assaulted above, he fell as a miniature mountain of boy. And Cynthia, too, lost her footing and came to the floor most abruptly. "'Run! Run!' she screamed. "'The egg! The egg! It's getting away! Help me up! Help me up!' With an effort gigantic, Jaunty got again to a perpendicular, assisted his sister to her feet, and away they went in hot pursuit. "'Catch it! Catch it!' cried Cynthia. "'It mustn't get away. It's wonderful! It's marvelous!' And they tore along, across the green, in the waving, grassy wake of the tiny fleeing Wachow. "'Run like a swallow! Fly!' she piped, and Jaunty flew like a barrel up a hill." She ran and she reached with her net while Jaunty plunged and sputtered, but the race was short, though mighty. For the Washoe, like a wily squirrel, made straight to gain a thicket and slipped in a wink, away beneath the tangle. Then Cynthia, falling wildly, fairly shrieked her last despairing cry, Dive, Jaunty, dive! And her partner in the chase went headlong in the bushes to bounce back again, and to lie on his back, waving arms and legs at random like a turtle. Then the two sat there, braced in the grass, and looked each other in the countenance ruefully. "'Oh, Professor, Professor, you will not, you cannot forgive me for this,' groaned Cynthia aloud, and after I had nearly got them classified and named. Suddenly across her veil of gloom, like a ray of hope athwart a cavernous abyss of woe, came a thought. "'The pool!' she cried, to the pool for more. She hastened to the shore. Whither Jaunty came after, she reached the scooped-out nest, and then her wail went forth in accents loud and shrill. Not a single egg, like the two I had. She piped in her anguish. They all have hatched and are flown to their native heath. And indeed to the heath, to which the chieftain and embryo had scudded, they were all in reality gone. End of section two.